dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hello, dear listeners. This is Father Michael. Today's episode is Mother Natalia's. She is going to talk about some of her experiences at her grandmother's funeral and how that helped her to understand uh, the cross and the resurrection and hope and joy especially in the way that her little nieces and nephews encountered a family funeral, and then how she has been able to be persevering in a rough patch in her life um, where she needs to, to see God's joy and resurrection um, and the ways that that is lived out in her in hope and the way that is lived out in her in her current experience as well. Um, we also hear some great stories about her nieces and nephews and their little beautiful personalities, and also a story of me getting the Dark Knight of the Soul and Batman confused. If you are a hashtag banter hater, please skip ahead about 7 minutes and 50 seconds. God bless. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Father Steve. Hello. Glory forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, today we have a hashtag audience of one, my good friend Father Steve Flynn, who... I don't think you've ever been an official guest on the podcast, but you've certainly like sat in on some. Yeah, I sat in. I think the last time um, you had COVID when we were sitting next together. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> didn't know it yet. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. We didn't yeah. know it. Um, but no, I was fine. We also that was Taco Day. Taco Day. So Father Steve and I, one of our um, one of the most wonderful aspects of our friendship is tacos, and we like to have tacos together and. Um, the foundation of rock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know, I'm literally <laughs> talking about that passage on today's episode. Oh, that's kind of yeah. a creepy, oh. weird. Um, I don't think it's creepy. I think it's maybe the Holy Spirit. Um, anyways. Holy so, Spirit can seem is- creepy sometimes. Just <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, I'm just saying stuff and then just stop me. So we'll Father Steve and I got tacos <laughs> this one time of many. And on this particular taco day, we were having queso, and I was like, "I'm sorry, I'm just I'm double dipping." And Father Steve was care. like, "That's fine, I don't care." And then the next day, I was like, "BT Dubs, I have COVID." <laughs> um, so we had some nice COVIDy queso, but he didn't get it. You kept it to yourself. Yeah. yeah so that's a great band name, COVIDy queso. Covidy queso. I sent yeah. an email both to Father Dufresne and James today, and. I um, told them each that I loved them more than queso, and this. So this was all in Spanish, and so then I said, um, I put in parentheses, and that's saying, like that's especially significant to say during. And I was like, I don't know how to say cheese fair in Spanish, so I called it um, the week of queso queso adios is what I called it. <laughs> um, queso fiesta. Cheese party. I know that. Yeah. You just made that up. I did. No, because it's not fair as in like a fair as in a festival. It's fair as in farewell. Like F-A-R-E. It's kind of both. No, the the word is actually spelled F A R E. Oh, F-A-R-E. I know. I know what you mean. Oh, oh. I know. I know what you mean. I mean, I we treat mean it as like a fiesta, a, a yes. queso fiesta for sure. We it's, were talking about this Mardi yesterday, Gras. Father Michael Cheese and I Gras. at uh, Micra. We were talking about this at our LAC meeting, which is. Um, the way meat Los fair Angeles and Clippers. cheese fair started. Can you please stop? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> just mute me. <laughs> um, I can't. I don't have the capability of muting you. <laughs> so uh, the reason we have meat fair and cheese fair in our tradition is because um, so meat fair is the is two weeks before the great fast, and then cheese fair is the week before. And the point is, there wouldn't have been ways of like storing those things for an entire fasting period. And so the point of meat fair is you eat up all the meat in your house so that there's none left that's going to go bad during the fast. And then cheese fair is you eat all the dairy in your house so that it doesn't go bad during the fast. Um, But in modern times, when we have the capabilities of like refrigeration and freezing and things like that, it becomes instead... Um, I'm going to go out and buy a bunch of cheese and eat it all this week and then say goodbye to it for 47 days. Well, according to your insistence upon calling it like a farewell, that's just such a negative way of referring to eating a bunch of meat or cheese. Like, let's say farewell to it by eating it. Like, there's a more positive... I'm saying that's actually what the word is. Like in our Triodian, it's called cheese fair. C-H-E-E-S-E-F-A-R-E. What else does it mean? I'm just trying to get you hyped up right now. (laughs) It's happy that you both get to say farewell and to celebrate it all at the same time. Oh, um, I told Father Stephen, Father Michael, that I have a migraine today, and so I'm really slow at processing. And I think I'm also quicker <laughs> to anger when I have a migraine. Does that seem to be true, Father Michael? Father Steve's yes. nodding. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so, Father Michael and Father Steve, I said that I will say more stupid things than usual, and they were both really excited. So, you're it welcome, listeners, that I have a migraine. Um, okay. So what I actually wanted to share during banter today is I wanted to tell you another story of Matthew the toddler, my nephew, because it's really cute. I told a story a few weeks ago about his legs home hurting when he was too lazy to go get his drink off the table. And this one was from, I was home in New York. I've mentioned this a couple times, and it's part of what this episode's about. But I was home in New York last weekend for my grandma's funeral, and... After the reception, after the funeral, Matthew, the four-year-old, wanted to walk home to my parents' house. And their house is only like five blocks from the reception. And so his parents said like, yeah, that's fine. If you can find someone who will walk with you, you can you can walk back instead of driving. And so he asks me, um, and I was like, sure, I'll walk back with you. So we go outside after the reception, and Matthew is trying to zip up his coat. And I was like, oh, Matthew, do you need help? And then it seems like he's like got it caught, though, at this point. So I was like, oh, no, you're okay. And he's like, I'm okay. So then I go and I'm talking to some people. And then like 10 minutes later, I come back and he's still working on this coat. And and I was like, Matthew, do you, um, oh, you, you're still working on it. Do you, want, do you want some help? And he was like, um, yes, please, because I've been struggling with this thing for like 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> and it was just like the <laughs> cutest thing. This kid is so adorable. Um, yeah, they're they're just the cutest kids. They're super, super polite. When they're not having a meltdown, these two kids are like <laughs> the most polite kids. Um, my niece, Bella, stepped on my dad's foot at one point, and he didn't even notice because she weighs like 20 pounds. And... um. And, but she knows that she steps on his foot. And so she steps on his foot and then she looks up at him and she just goes, oh, sorry, grandpa. Um, Little 20-month-old Bella. And it's just the cutest thing. Um, 
adorable. They're real precious. I spent all last week in North Carolina and with a bunch of Southern ladies and gentlemen. So everything was yes, sir, no, sir. I remember being intimidated. I asked my friend Ashley, who was from North Carolina in college, I said, can you please, like I'm hanging out with a bunch of Southerners, can you please correct me if I do anything that's offensive to like Southern people? <laughs> and she's like, you're doing fine. I'm like, that's not what I asked. Can you please teach me your ways? <laughs> I know I'm doing, quote, fine. I want to do more than fine, please. Um, yeah. So, well, you can learn from Bella and Matthew because they're super polite. That's really cute. Exactly. Uh, okay, so I before we get to the actual topic, I would like to Father Michael and I have a few things to announce, and they're all like pretty exciting things, um, mostly, and some are really is really embarrassing for me, but that's fine. I'm gonna end the banter count right now so that everybody hears this part. Yeah, that's what I did. I noted. Okay. I noted the time in case you didn't. Oh. Uh, so. The first thing is that on Saturday, March 25th, Father Michael and I will be leading a retreat, um, like a day of reflection kind of thing, at Annunciation Byzantine Parish in Anaheim, Colorado. And by Colorado, I mean California. (laughs) (laughs) In Anaheim, California. Um, It's really funny because when Steve asked me about this, Father Michael, I was like, and he was like, you know, obviously we'll pay for your flight. And I was like... Um, sure, I'll ask mother. It looks like our calendar's open. It should be totally fine. Let me just ask her. And you probably don't even have to pay for a flight because I'll just drive. Chicago's really close. And he was like, um, not annunciation in Chicago, (laughs) Anaheim. And I was like, oh, you did say that. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, because we also have an annunciation parish in Mm -hmm. Chicago. And anyways, so... Saturday, March 25th, Father Michael and I are leading this day of reflection. Um, I don't know what we're talking about. It's going to be great. And then while I'm in town on the e- on Sunday evening, um, you know what we should have done before this recording? Father Michael has talked about a time, <laughs> but at least we'll just put it out there for Mark now. calendars. Yeah, save the date of Sunday evening, March 27th. Um, or maybe Sunday afternoon if we do Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but probably come- evening, because I have to get there after liturgy oh, at Annunciation. Okay. Um, so what I actually meant to say was Sunday, March 26th. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's how things work. We shouldn't have let, let me, me do know any of this. Let me know if you want to tag in. Sunday, March 26th. Probably the evening. We're going to do a live episode. That's the punchline. Live episode yes. at the Proto Cathedral. At the Proto Cathedral <laughs> in um, Sherman Oaks is what it's called. Yes. Okay. Proto Cathedral of St. Mary in Sherman Oaks, California. Uh, Sunday evening, March 26th. If you want information on the event in Anaheim, uh, which is where Disneyland is, you can go to SoCal, S O C A L, Byzantines, plural. Dot eventbrite.com and that's where you can actually buy tickets and RSVP. You can also go to socalbyzantines at gmail.com if you have any questions and they will answer your questions there. So again, to register, socal, S-O-C-A-L, Byzantines, dot eventbrite.com to register and socalbyzantines at gmail.com for, uh, for email if you want to have any questions. Um, yeah, and then the next day, the 26th, not in Anaheim, but in Sherman Oaks in Los Angeles, we'll be doing a live episode that evening at my parish. 
Thank you. That was much better information. When Father Steve <laughs> and I were looking at the flyer, we both thought it said social Byzantines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which we do One exist. Uh, so I totally get it. Yeah. But there's no I there. It's SoCal Byzantines. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, and also, you want to talk about the. The, um, Why don't talk you? About the, okay, so um, one of my close friends, the mother of one of my godchildren, and a frequent guest at our at my parish here, named Elizabeth Marzai, is putting together a, a documentary on Mother Natalia's discernment and her life profession. And so she came out and filmed uh, the life profession. She also filmed some interviews with us, and she filmed um, just some of our processing some of our, even our podcast recordings that you guys have heard um, about in mother's preparation for her life profession. So um, it, by the time this episode comes out, it's already going to have premiered at the True False Festival in um, Columbia. Columbia, Missouri mm-hmm. in on uh, beginning of March. It'll already come out. So we'll try to put some information about that on the website, but it'll come out in other festivals as a documentary. It'll become out in other festivals. Um, Elizabeth is a Oscar-nominated member of the Academy, so hopefully this will be picked up also by other streaming um, streaming uh, what do we call it? Platforms. So, if not, hopefully it'll be on Vimeo or YouTube or something like that. But uh, we leave that up to them. They're the filmmakers. So, but I mean, it's just called Natalia. So, if you want to look it up, it is already on IMDb. We looked it up. So, it's just called Natalia. It's a documentary, and it should be really beautiful. A beautiful witness. It's it's really a, a secular documentary. It's it's about Natalia, of course, but it, it's for a secular audience. I think Elizabeth, the director, is the only Christian involved in this. There's Muslims and atheists and agnostics involved in the entire process. So the documentary is kind of a, is for a secular audience where I think it's beautiful because of course we're all about evangelization. So just look it up, IMDb, um, look up the documentary called Natalia and hopefully in the next few months it'll come out so we can all watch it. But if you're anywhere near any of the festivals, of course you can check that out and um, we'll have more information on that if there's, if Elizabeth puts it up on our website or something like that, we can keep an eye on where that might come out. But yeah, so pray for that. Pray for those who see it and uh, and are moved to um, encounter the Spirit in a deeper way through Mother mm-hmm. Natalia's story. Elizabeth has already shared with me a couple stories of just like people in the production process, like on her team or people have been giving feedback or whatever, um, who have been, who have had just a really beautiful receptivity to the film and have started kind mm-hmm. of questioning things within themselves. Uh because of the film, which is just really great and very humbling and and all of that. So great. Transition to the topic. Is that good? Yep. Great. Uh, I forgot that I'm not supposed to announce it. You told me that at one time. You're like, just transition. You don't have to announce it. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So I don't really know how cohesive all of this is, but I want to talk about some like several different things that are going on in my life and how the Lord's been working in it. And basically maybe the thing that's consistent in it is that things are not always as they appear in our lives. And what we're seeing is not um, like there can be a blindness to, to the Lord's work in our lives basically. And the place I want to talk about this the most is the sufferings that we go through 
um, like just the daily sufferings that we go through, particularly as Christians, because I've been, I feel like I'm kind of getting hit from all sides in my life right now. And like, I'm not catching a break. I don't have a second to catch my breath. I'm just like dropping the ball in all areas of my life. I'm treading water. I'm like, yeah, just trying. I think I'm just like in survival mode. And and I've been struggling to kind of see where Jesus is at in all of that. And the last couple of weeks, he's been starting to kind of reveal himself in it. And that's what I want to talk about. Or maybe he's, it's not even that he's revealing himself. Maybe it's that like, I just haven't been paying attention or I've been so distracted by the pain or by by this or that, that I'm not seeing his presence. And it's been really interesting because I've, I've felt throughout everything that Jesus is there, um, which is very much a gift because we don't always feel his presence, right? Um, so I've felt that he's there, but I haven't really felt like he's doing anything. And I'm, I've just been kind of like, Jesus, you're my spouse and man up and like do something because I need help and it doesn't seem like you're helping. So, so the first part of what I want to talk about is uh, it's kind of the reverse order chronologically because I'm going from the most recent to something that happened before it. But most recently, I... I w- when I was at my grandma's funeral, there there were two things that happened that I want to share with um, my niece, my niece, and my nieces and my nephews. So when we were at the wake um, or the calling hours, my niece and my nieces and nephews. So I had two nieces there and three nephews, and the oldest is fifteen. The youngest is 20 months. And they just were kind of like running around, laughing, playing, being pretty loud. Um, And I don't know how to describe it other than utterly delightful. And like the people who were working at the funeral home were encouraging it. And they were like playing with the kids too and like poking them as they ran by just to get Bella to giggle or whatever, you know, and their poor, their poor like parents. I know like Bella and Matthew's mom was getting really self-conscious and she's just like, guys, we're at a, we're at a wake. You need to like be quiet. And, um, but nobody minded, um, right. Other than poor their mom, (laughs) uh, which is often how it is with kids, right? Like the mom is all self-conscious and everyone else is like, no, it's so cute. But Mm -hmm. there was something just really, like that's always delightful, but I think especially so because we're there in the midst of our grief. And like, I realized that this is weird. I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or just at our LAC meeting or what, but I realized this is weird, but even though I'm 31, this was my first family funeral. And I think a lot of that's because like I grew up in a military family. And so on a military enlisted budget. And so you know, if a family member dies, it's hard to just like pick up four kids and fly across from Cuba or um, drive across from Colorado or whatever it is. And so I haven't been able to go to a family funeral before. And 
And this time I did. And so it was just like really wonderful to be able to experience in the midst of grieving the loss of, of my grandma and, and saying goodbye to her at the wake and things like that to just have this joy and this youth and the giggling of a 20 month old. And just to kind of remind ourselves that this isn't the end. Um, and this isn't even the most significant part of life. Like the the deeper thing is the joy, which is what what the Lord tells us constantly. Like that He He came um, so that we might have joy and have it to the full, and so on and so forth. And and it, it reminded me of I mentioned I'm sure in the episode about Doctor Takis called the Final Homily. Um, I mentioned how beautiful it was to be with him at his deathbed and to have his newborn um, granddaughter there who's like um, just, yeah, just like this this um, circle of life, I guess. And to remember that like with every end is a beginning and to remember that uh that even with the passion, like things don't end with the crucifixion. Uh, there's still the resurrection, which is something that I was talking to Father Steve about a couple months ago on a hike. Um, and that I was talking with a couple other people about as well. But, you know, we have in our, our current kind of time in the church, we have people often talk about how Christ died for us and he died for our sins. And, um, and that's good and it's beautiful, but oftentimes what I want to say is, yes, but he also rose for us. Like, I think we can just get stuck on the crucifixion and we can forget that he also rose for us. He also ascended for us. He also became incarnate for us. Like all of it is, is he did this out of love for us and it's all one part of the mystery. And we can just get, even with our suffering, we can get stuck in, but he died for us. And so we can like unite this to him on the cross. And that's true, but it's not just uniting it to him on the cross. It's also um, like standing in the hope of the resurrection because if there's no resurrection, then then the cross is folly, right? Um, and so there just was that reminder of that with with the kids at the wake who, you know, especially the younger ones, like they don't really comprehend what's happening. And and their mom took them up to like say goodbye to Gigi and things like that. And it was really beautiful. Um, it, was, it was also um, maybe problematic because the, <laughs> at some point that weekend, my dad was like laying back in his recliner and he wasn't asleep, but he was just kind of resting. And so he was laying back <laughs> and he has his eyes closed. And my little niece goes, Grandpa, Grandpa dead. And we were like, no, 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 no he's just sleeping. Um, but also there's like this beauty of like falling asleep in the Lord. And then, so there's like something there. But anyways, so the other time that this happened was, my my parents asked me to do both of the readings at the funeral mass, and which I was like, both? Are you serious? <laughs> uh, and because I'm, as Father Michael can attest to, and most of our listeners, like, I cry a lot and I have a lot of feelings, and so it's hard to 
do things that require like public speaking in the midst of feelings. And so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And to be honest, what I ended up doing was until after the readings, until after the first reading, I should say, I like did not pray. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't think about my grandma's death. I didn't, I wasn't praying for her. I wasn't anything like that. I was just like, I just need to get through the readings. <laughs> if I try to pray, I'm going to, um, break down. And so I basically just didn't pray and I go up and I do the first reading and I like get choked up a couple times, but I made it through and it was fine. And I didn't actually start crying. And then I go sit down for the responsorial Psalm. It also was very awkward because I've been Byzantine for so long at this point. I don't really remember how those the Roman masses work. And the priest had to like tell me to go sit down and like tell me to come up and stuff. And that was very <laughs> embarrassing because he's probably very like complicated. <laughs> he's probably like, what kind of nun is this that she doesn't even know when to come up for the reading? Anyways, so um I'm sitting down for the responsorial psalm and I'm just pierced by the responsorial psalm and I'm trying to sing it and I'm praying and and I just lose it. <laughs> and I'm like, I still have to go up for the second reading and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm just like not looking at my dad because if I see my dad, I know I'm going to, and it was, it was his mom and I just know I'm going to like not handle it. And, um, and so the responsorial psalm is like halfway over and I'm just, I'm actually panicking. I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to like draw myself back together. And all of a sudden, um, Bella, the 20 month old, um, she jumps down from her mom's lap and she wants to come over to me because we're in like the phase where I'm her favorite person for five minutes. So when she like calls anyone else, like when she FaceTimes my mom, she's like, Matalia? Natalia and my mom's like she's not here Bella but she always wants to talk to me. Um she said she was going she's to New like York. She's your emotional support nurse. Yeah. Niece. She she said that she was going niece. to New York to see me. Her dad was already in New York at the time. She wasn't going to see him. She wasn't going to see anyone else. She just wanted to see Natalia. Um and then by the end of the weekend Maddie had transitioned to her favorite person. And so I think Maddie's her favorite for the next 5 minutes. But anyways, at this point she always wants me. And so, which they were worried about when I went up for the reading because they were like, what are we going to do if she wants Mother Natalia? So I'm falling apart, responsorial psalm. Bella hops down because she wants me. And my brother looks at me and he just like doesn't know what to do um, because he doesn't like, um, their kids don't really go to church at this point. And so he's like, doesn't know what's okay for kids to do in church and what's not. And so I just gestured and I was like, no, she can totally come over and it's fine. And so she runs over to me and, and I pick her up and I'm holding her and she just like, my heart is so full of joy. Right. And, um, and she sees me and she jumps into my arms and she's like, Natalia. And, and I just can't be sad. Um, and it was like this grounding. And then I was pulled together enough to go up and do the second reading. And I sent her back to her mom and um, it was fine. And then I went up and did the second reading. And then I went back to, to my seat. And then I was like, okay, I can cry for the rest of the mass and it's fine now because my part's over. <laughs> and then I was able to pray and so on and so forth. And But I was just like, how beautiful for the thing to ground us to be the joy. 
And for that to be the foundation and the thing that we come back to as opposed to the other other way around. It's like if we can see the joy beneath the suffering instead of suffering beneath joy, then I think that's like just a really beautiful way to live. Because frankly, until heaven, we will always have both. There's not a single thing on this earth that is missing, or I mean, that has only one of those things, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, because even the things that bring us the deepest joy here on earth, there's always the knowledge that this thing's going to end soon or that um, there's always an ache for something more. And so even in those things that are the greatest joy, there's, there's some suffering in it. And because the Lord is with us in all, even in our deepest sufferings, there is some joy. And that's often harder to see, but it's there, it's there somewhere. And, um, and yeah, it's like until, until the resurrection, our resurrections here on earth always involve the crucifixion and our crucifixions here on earth always have the potential for resurrection. And yeah, so because there also is just the beauty of, it, it was difficult for it to be under such circumstances, but it was so beautiful for our family to be together. Like my, um, one of my brothers, I've only talked to him a couple times since I entered the monastery. I, until this year, I had only seen him once since entering the monastery. And so like his kids had never met my other brother's kids and so like cousins met for the first time and they loved each other and they played together. And um, my one nephew decided that his cousin is his girlfriend. And I was like, eh, he's young enough. We don't need to get into that right now. <laughs> but um, there, there just was like, there was so much joy and so much goodness, even in the midst of circumstances, right? Like after the funeral reception, um, like that night we we played cards and the next day, like we played a board game after liturgy and there's just like this, this concept of, um, yeah, needing to still live life and still embrace the joys that the Lord wants to give us, even in the midst of sufferings. So. Yeah. Thank you for that last line. I, I'm going to ask you this, but I think that partly answers it. Christ wants to give us joy even in the midst of great suffering. So, um, I've shared with you before that when I, before Father Joel left Holy Protection in Denver to go to the seminary in Pittsburgh, um, I asked him, hey, you know, you've been serving with me as a lay person and then as a deacon and now as a priest for years. Um, and now you're leaving to go be my peer. So you're, 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 going, you're going to a, a role and you're, you're no longer the vicar at my parish. So can you please tell me what it is like what you see my limitations are, what are my weaknesses, what can I work on? Um, just speak truth to to the situation so that I can try to improve. And he took some time with it. And then the one thing he said is the primary thing that he thought I needed to change was my, my perception that he says, you, you seem to think that that the greatest virtue comes from those who are actually kind of ignorant. In other words, um, children, you think children are the most virtuous, but they're not. Children need to go through hardships in order to learn how to love. So, child for for a child who's just 
under somebody else's care, does not know about the ways of the world yet, their joy in those situations is beautiful, but it's also not informed. It, it's it's too simple. We we our our joy needs to be deeper than that. Um, so I, I think the real the real witness here is how you responded, mother, to that being to them being a gift to you. It, like they didn't have the proper response to a funeral. If we did that, we would it wouldn't be the proper response. But but. <laughs> But they, but they taught you something so that you could have the proper response mm-hmm. as an adult. So I'm, I'm wondering, what do you, what do you say for someone? I, we just had a panahita last night. Um, God bless Matt Wiggins, one of our cantors. His brother died suddenly and tragically um, on Saturday, I believe it was. Um, tried, they tried to resuscitate him. He called me when they were trying to resuscitate him. It didn't work. Um, he passed away anyway. So his brother, his, their mother was there last night, all their siblings, his brother's children, his brother's grandchildren, they were all there. And we had a Panahita. And thank God, the reading, if you remember for today, because we did a vigil, because it was um, a liturgical yesterday, we did a vigil and the reading was Luke's crucifixion and the death of Christ because we're in cheese fair. So so it was it was the the veil being torn when Christ died and so I just use that as a, this is why we can intercede for the dead. And here's why they can intercede for us because that veil has been broken, um, been ripped by Christ's own crucifixion. But so it's on my mind. That's where I went with it because of the readings. But how do you, what do you say to someone based upon that experience, mother? What do you say to someone who's only living the cross? They're only in suffering. So they're saying, yeah, it's actually helpful to me to think about my sufferings be aligned to Christ. It's actually helpful to me to think of Christ's sufferings. But but what do you say in that moment of suffering, if anything, that that will that you could tell someone, see the joy of this child? Don't be like that. But but let them teach you about the joy of Christ. There there is joy. There is a resurrection here. Is there any piece of advice that you can give in general? Of course, not specifically to this individual, but in general to say when you're in the midst of moments of the cross, here's the things that that a joyful child who's kind of ignorant about the whole situation, he, here's what that can reveal about Christ, the resurrection, and the hope you should have. I think. Well, did you? You looked like you had something you wanted to say, Father Steve. Well, I just was just reading this morning. Um, someone I'm starting to get to know, and she said um, that we don't love the cross; we love Jesus on the cross. Mm. And I think that it spoke to me because sometimes, yeah, I get hung up on the just the suffering and not the redemptive aspect of it. Uh, when you're just feeling the weight of it, it's hard. But it's not about the cross; it's about Jesus who willingly embraces the cross for love of you. And if we keep our eyes on Him, then yeah. You can see the joy and it's lighter. Yeah, I I think that's very similar to what I was going to say, is that part of it is hope. Um, We often have to choose to hope even when we don't feel hope. Because I I did a whole podcast on this one time, um, which I, I really liked a lot. So if you want to go back and listen to it, it's called... I think it's called finding hope in the desert and just knowing that like the Christian definition of hope is different from our secular understanding of hope because the secular understanding of hope is like this situation. I hope this situation will get better. Right. And whereas the Christian understanding of hope is like, I hope that there is meaning in this suffering and that one day, even if it's, not until eternity, <laughs> um, 
this suffering is for something. And and I think that's the thing to remember is that even when we don't feel this secular idea of hope, we can choose to hope in the resurrection. And and so that's actually that's actually a good transition into like the other half of this that I wanted to talk about because can I just say one thing about sure. that though? Yeah, yeah. Um, so just real quick, um, one of the things too that I think I've found when people are in deep, deep suffering for whatever reason, desolation, breakup, um, horrible situations. I have a friend right now who's just going through a court battle over children and things like this. It's like, like it just, it just seems over, so overwhelming. But one of the we when we're going through that that immense suffering. One of the best things to know is just like keep it simple. Like as a priest, I've learned you could probably you know say this too, Father Steve. Like if you keep it simple, because we're not the most pious when we're in the midst of deep suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, we we kind of need something very simple to grab onto. We can't go too deep. And I, I really do find that that the message that you just said, Mother, of hope in the cross, like the resurrection comes three days later. So the, the, part of this is just wait. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not you're not going to feel the resurrection before the resurrection. So, But let time be a beautiful thing. Let time be a gift. And just to drive this point home, I had a funny moment. I was with my friends from college on my birthday um, out in Charlotte. And these guys have known me for you know 20-something years. And so my buddy Connor says, um, are you still as happy as you were 20 years ago? And I was like, yeah, I kind of am. He's like, you're just like happy all the time. Yeah. It's like, you know, you've never <laughs> Felt despair? No, no, still no. You know, <laughs> funny all the time for that. And then he goes, he goes. You know, you are you are the ideal candidate for the dark night. Mm. Now, I thought he was calling me a sociopath. I thought he was <laughs> calling me for the movie. So I say, so I say, wait, wait, Batman oh, or the Joker? He meant Dark Knight of the Soul. He did. Yeah, I totally forgot about. I went to the, Batman. I totally forgot about Batman. I was like, "What are you talking about?" That's very funny. No, and so I was like, and so everybody started laughing. Like he's like, "No, my Dark Knight of the Soul." I'm like, "Oh, but, but the like, lay person is talking about the Dark Knight of the Soul. The priest immediately thinks the of Batman. Is thinking Batman. <laughs> so I thought he was calling me the Joker, like some sociopath, because I don't feel anything, you know. But anyway, um, it was pretty. Fun. It was a funny moment. Um, but but the uh, but see, that's what it's like. Like sometimes I always imagine, like I am. If God took away His consolation from me, I don't have the experience of fighting through desolation. I don't mm. have that practice. I don't have that habit. <laughs> All of a sudden, so Father Michael would, would be calling Mother Natalia for spiritual direction. <laughs> exactly. I would, I, would, I would be very, very deep in that and not know how to get out. So God, thank God he hasn't given that yet. Hopefully he never gives that to me. Um, but if he ever does, that'll be a struggle. But I think that that's what will become my hope is that even if I wait, just, just day to day, wait it out, the resurrection happened three days later. That could be three days. That could be three months. That could be three years. That could be when I die. But mm-hmm. but there is there is a sense of of Christ rested in the tomb on, on Holy Saturday. There was a resting. There was a waiting. He didn't ri- rise right away. He waited. We, we are going to suffer through these things sometimes. And, and time, it was created by God. It is therefore a good thing. It is therefore a gift. And we can embrace that reality and, and try to be patient in, and persevering in that time between suffering and, and resurrection. Yeah. I think that part of that trust and that hope also comes from, you know, one of my favorite passages from any book is a passage from Jane Eyre. And I've talked about it before on this podcast, but there's this passage in Jane Eyre in which she's like, everything in the reader is aching for this woman at this point. And I won't go into all the details, but like everything in the reader is aching for this woman. And She's presented with this choice. And honestly, as a reader, you're kind of like, oh, you poor thing, like just do it. And it's not the right thing and just do it. And mm. and she has this soliloquy that's 
basically she's like, this time, this time is when I have to use my foregone determinations. Like this is the time for, for employing my principles because they weren't made for the times in which it feels right. They were made for times such as these when everything in my veins is like, what's coursing through my veins is the desire to do this thing. And um, all I have in this moment are those foregone determinations. And that's where I plant my foot. And so she chooses not to do the thing, right? And and for us as Christians, that's in part the teachings of the church. That's the magisterium. But it's also, it's just scripture. And like, that's where we have to plant our foot on on the incarnate word who is Jesus and his words in scripture. And so one of the things that I was reflecting on is I I think I've shared this. I think I've only shared it with like our patrons when we did a zoom meeting. I don't think I shared it on the podcast, but I was reflecting recently on the, the gospel passage of um, the house built on stone. Right. And so Jesus says like, for those who keep the word of God and and follow his commands, they're like a house built on stone. And the winds come and the storms come, and but the house remains because it was built on stone. And then you have um, those who do not listen and follow the commands of God, and they're the ones who have built their house on sand. And the winds come and the storms come and they destroy the house, uh, which, side note, this passage always reminds me of the three little pigs. And... But like what struck me for the first time in reading this a few months ago was that um, Father Steve's like <laughs> really enjoying this over here. I'm guessing that's where Jesus got it from. <laughs> <laughs> so Father Michael, that was really funny. Um, so you seem shocked. <laughs> uh, but anyways, what struck me for the first time in reading this a few months ago is that the house on stone goes through all of the same winds and storms as the house on sand. So like, it's not like if you have this solid foundation and you're leaning on Christ, there's not pain and there's not struggles and there's not storms. It's that, you know, it's like the story of of Jesus resting in the boat and um, is that there's peace in the midst of the storms, that there's um, a solid foundation to lean on. And um, that's... I think something that we have to remember and to, again, to like rely on those passages. Um, Yeah. So. Amen. Yeah. I I think that's one thing that people don't understand and I don't understand this. That's why, and we don't think of it often enough is that that is the reality is that the, don't we want to be strong? And if we want to be strong, that means we have to experience hardship that Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't do pilgrimages anymore. We don't, we don't say I'm going to walk for three days until I get to this shrine. Then I'm going to walk home for three days. Like the the hardship of the walking for three days and camping by the side of the road and all those things. W- w- those those hardships are rewarded when we get to the pilgrimage site. When we have good food and good friends, we just don't get that anymore. We don't. We don't. I mean, you, you're a great example of this, mother. But you, we, we don't. We don't. You know, even do mountains climbing anymore, where we have this experience of hardship that we get to the peak or reward and we come back down again. We just we 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 modern Americans are so used to just getting the rewards without any of the struggle, and that's actually doing a disservice to to our life in the spirit, where where 
enduring and persevering and being courageous and thriving through sufferings makes us a better person and makes us more able to handle struggles so that mm-hmm. we're not completely debilitated by that anymore. So we should, in a sense, lean into these things, ask God to guide us through, but but even thank him for the struggles that we've had because it does make future struggles and harder struggles much easier to endure. We become an objectively happier person because less makes us sad, less makes us anxious um, when we lean into these small things. Yeah. Um so there's also, I need to decide whether or not to include this, Father Michael, so I'm going to break the fourth wall here. Um, can you go like 10 minutes over today? Sure. Okay. I can, yeah. so, so I wanted to share kind of the last part of this is a, like in that trusting in Scripture, trusting in the Word of God, there's also just like we have to trust in what the Lord promises about protection, about deliverance, about all of these things. Um, because that's when it can feel like it's not happening. And we have to choose to trust that what Jesus told us is the truth. Um, Because there's, um, you know, I mentioned, I've mentioned a few times on the podcast that I I really like Origin, (laughs) which is awkward because some of his things are like, may or may not be heresy and but um or like there is heresy but he's not necessarily a heretic because it wasn't like he knew the heresy and then continued so um there's a difference between preaching heresy and being a heretic just for the record and um so a listener had sent me a listener slash friend had sent me a book on origins homilies on the psalms and i was reminded of one of these as I was praying with this um, concept about trusting in the Lord's words, because he um, he's talking about, this is a homily on Psalm 15, and which is probably, it's Septuagint. So Psalm 15 or 16, 16 in the Vulgate, yeah. And he's talking about the, the words that say, um, protect me, Lord, because I have hoped in you. Protect me, Lord, because I have hoped in you. And the reason he, the reason I bring this up is because Origen makes the point that Origen says that in in some in the case of some psalms, um, we don't necessarily we can't necessarily identify the persona of the psalm, uh, but in others, the the text of the psalm makes clear who the persona is, and that's the case in this psalm. And um, the reason he says it's the case in this psalm is because um, it was written in the Acts of the Apostles that a passage of this psalm, you will not abandon my soul in Hades, nor will you allow the devout one to see corruption, is spoken in the persona of the Savior. And that's clear in the Acts of the Apostles. And so we can apply that persona to this psalm um, in other readings. So, So Origen is making the point that Jesus Christ is the one saying, protect me, Lord, because I have hoped in you. And then Origen says, since you are the constituent parts of Christ and in part constituent parts, and you are the body of Christ, when he prays and says, protect me, Lord, he is speaking about himself as he prays on your behalf. And then he references Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. As if I too were to say, if you give my body food, you have given it to me. If you give 
my body drink, you have quenched my thirst. And so he says, um, it is Jesus who's saying, um, protect me, Lord, uh, because I have hoped in you. And so then there's this point of like, we can make that prayer. Jesus makes it on our behalf. And like, it's a fair prayer for us to make. Like, Lord, protect me because I've hoped in you. But then we have to remember that Jesus was not unprotected. He was protected by the Father because he hoped in the Father. And Jesus was also crucified. And this was really this was really powerful for me because I was praying a, f- a few weeks ago. I was at uh, St. Michael the Archangel in Cleveland. And if any of you are from the Cleveland area, I really encourage you to check out this this church. Like, it's so beautiful. Father Mike, or Father Steve, you've for sure been to St. Michael. Yeah. yeah. So, so Roman beautiful. Roman Catholic, Disney Catholic. Roman Catholic. And it's um, Father Mark Riley is there. Shout out to Father Mark Riley, who is just so wonderful. Um, he rings like so much joy to my heart. And James is interning there right now. So he talked about this church when he was on the Matthew 25 podcast. But uh, the the interior of the church is just gorgeous. It's like so many statues, so many, anyways, it's just really beautiful. But I, like, I, ex- I would expect so much activity to come across as like gaudy, but it just doesn't for me, for some reason in this church. Uh, maybe it would for other people. I don't know. But so there's all of that beauty in the, in the um, nave. But then in the narthex, am I getting this right? The vestibule is like the narthex? Yes. The, vest- yeah. the vestibule, whatever you call it, that area in the back, the vestibule. Um, my favorite statue in the entire church is in that vestibule. And it's this beautiful image. Um, I actually have a picture of it. Maybe we can use it for this graphic, for the graphic for this, uh, this episode, if I remember. The, it's a statue of Mary meeting Jesus on the way to the crucifixion. And I've seen, like, for various reasons I won't go into right now, I'm just like, this is one of my favorite um, scenes is Mary meeting Jesus on the way, uh, which isn't technically scriptural, but it's tradition and and it's in the Stations of the Cross and things like that. And But I've never seen a depiction like this. And I, I can't comprehend how a sculptor can give so much expression on faces. That's always amazing to me. But like the expression on on the faces of both Jesus and Mary is just so tender. Um, But then I think what strikes me the most about it is in this depiction, Mary, um, Jesus has his arm around Mary's elbow and then she's embracing him, but she's also leaning on the cross. And so it's like in her anguish and her desire to comfort her son, she's actually like (laughs) putting more weight onto his cross. And um, which I don't mean that as a theological statement. I don't think that Mary like increased Jesus's burden on the cross. But anyways, we're not, I'm not even gonna break that open. Um, I mean that like, it's just a beautiful depiction of this grief and anguish of a mother. Um, And and as I'm as I'm looking at this statue and I'm praying in front of this statue, 
um, because Jesus is just looking down at Mary with such tenderness, like I said, but also with this like gaze of protection of like, I've got you and I'm not going to let you fall. And as I've said, there's been like so much going on in my life and I've felt so bombarded and my prayer has kind of been, and in a human sense, I've felt really like let down by a lot of people and like some of the people that I would want to be fighting for me right now, I feel like are not fighting for me. And so my prayer has just been like, Jesus, I feel you here, but you're not fighting for me. I need you to fight for me. (laughs) And like, why are you just letting me sit in this and just be under attack? And like, you're my spouse and you're a man and you're God and you're, and all of these things, right? And as I'm praying in front of this statue, I wasn't praying those things. That had just been my prayer for a couple of weeks. And in front of this statue, I'm just kind of resting. And what I hear in my heart is Jesus looking at Mary and saying, this is me fighting for you. And I was so pierced by that because I just remembered that, like, in the context of the times, the Jews were expecting the Messiah to be this conqueror and the one who's going to, like, the Messiah was promised to, like, bring the people out of slavery to, to overcome their oppressors, to do all of these things. And the Jews were expecting that to look a certain way. And they were expecting it to be someone who was actually like a military leader and a political leader and all of this. And instead it was the crucifixion. And how many of the Jews did not follow Christ because he wasn't their preconceived notions, like he didn't meet their preconceived notions of what the Messiah would be. And and I just realized like, you know, it's like the passage from Luke 11 of what father would give a snake when his child asks for a fish, what child, what, what father would give a scorpion when his child asks for an egg. And it's like, I am seeing so many things that I think are snakes and scorpions and they're actually fish and eggs. And and my prayer became, let me not be blinded like the Jews who didn't receive you. And of course, there were plenty of Jews who did, you know, including some of the apostles. And um, yeah, but I just, uh, I was like, this, this is what it this is what it is to be protected and to be fought for. And again, remembering that like, then he fights for us with the resurrection and he fights for us with the ascension and he fights for us with his incarnation. And all of that is him fighting for us. And when he, when the Messiah is promised to overcome our oppressors, that doesn't necessarily mean here on this earth. And it's like the liberation that he wants to give us is liberation from sin. The life that he wants to give us is eternal life with him. And that just brought me, even in the midst of my suffering, that brought me so much peace. And and so much, like I was just so much more able to accept what was happening 
And and then I started seeing this all over the scripture that I was reading, right? Is like in the Old Testament, I was reading um, um, Deuteronomy and Joshua, and I'm just reading about him telling Moses and Joshua of like, tell the people to just be still and I will fight for them. And and then I'm reading in the New Testament from the epistles from John and Peter about like um, to accept persecution, um, sorry, to expect persecution and to know that in that God fights for you. And then the last thing I wanted to to share, and then of course, any comments from you and Father Steve, um, sorry, this has been like a very monologue podcast and I hope our listeners are enduring, but um, if not, know that Jesus is fighting for you. And the... I just realized we've been having, during cheese fair, we've been having the Lenten dismissal at Vespers. And I was like, man, how perfect is it that every day at Vespers, we end with Psalm 33 or um, probably 34 in the Vulgate, if that's one of the ones that's split up. I don't know. Anyways, so Psalm 33 in the Septuagint, it's the one that starts with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise always on my lips. But it's like, as we're starting the day, because our liturgical day always starts with Vespers in the East, and it sometimes starts with Vespers in the West. I don't really understand the distinction. Someone else can explain that at another point. But in the East, we always start with Vespers, and this is because in Genesis, when God created the world, um, it says evening came and morning followed. This was the first day, or evening came and morning followed, and this was the second day. And so we start our liturgical day at Vespers. So at the end of Vespers, we're starting our day And we hear um, the poor man called, the Lord heard him and rescued him from all his distress. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is happy who seeks refuge in him. And then towards the end, many are the trials of the just, but from them all the Lord will rescue them. Hmm. So it's not like, and, and there are many more verses throughout the Psalm that apply, but it's like, at no point does Jesus say your life is going to be easy. In fact, he says it will be very hard. Um, and at no point does he say that like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I think all of us would say, of course, Jesus was not abandoned. Of course, he was not forgotten. Of course, he was not unprotected. And yet he endured the crucifixion and he was asked, um, asked to be crucified, like to allow that to happen. He was asked by the father, you know, and we see this in like in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus um, says, I'm the one that you're looking for. And if, if you want me, then let these men go. And then Peter comes and cuts off the soldier's ear, right? Um, cuts off the guard's ear. And Jesus says, um, I don't have the scripture in front of me and I'm Catholic, but Jesus says like, <laughs> Peter, you have to let me do what I'm supposed to do. Like this has been asked of me. You need to let me do it. And so I think that's just a very clear image of what we see as protection. And when we seek protection, it's not always the same thing that the Lord is seeing as protection. Because in that scene, it seems like Peter is trying to protect Jesus, but Jesus is like, no, yeah. silly little Peter. That's not what I need right now. Um, yeah, that's what I got. I, I said, I heard somebody say one time, 
that they were they were just in the midst of great struggles, and this was not this is someone who had been born and raised Christian but not practicing anymore. And they said, "Well, I said, well, I'll pray for you." They go, "You know, I I thank you, Father. I'll take all the help I can get. I'm just kind of crying out to any being that can help me." And at the time, I thought, "Oh no," because I I really do think, and I mentioned this last week's episode, but there's it's almost like when we pray. If this is a weird image because this is not how it is, but it's almost like you have Jesus and you have the devil, and we throw a prayer out there in general, and and Jesus is like, I'm not gonna answer this one the way the way they want. I'm gonna answer it the way that they need. And the devil's like, I'll answer it the way they want, you know. And so like like the devil can actually empower empower like what things that we think are good or even things that are good. You know, the devil can can give us things that are good if he knows it's going to lead to our downfall. And so this is kind of like what you were saying earlier, Father Steve, you know, we don't love the cross. We love Christ on the cross. So when we ask for things, we have to treasure Christ and his will over the thing that we asked for, or the devil may grant us that thing if he knows it's going to lead to our downfall. So that there does, there definitely has to be a, when we pray for something, there has to be an understanding of just what you said, Mother. The protection won't always look like how we define protection. We say, Lord, your definition of protection. If I don't want to suffer, just like Christ and just something, I don't want to suffer, Lord. But but if you know that this is be best for me, what I need, please let me suffer. Like uh, it's you I care about, not my prayer intention. You know, my prayer intention comes. I, I know you want to know it, but but the, if the devil answers this prayer intention, it's going to lead to my downfall. But I'm going to run after it because I'm thinking it's you, Lord. And I can actually be distracted by what I define as good rather than what, what you, O oh Lord, define as good. And I think that's that's just a, a point of of sanctity that the saints have that we need to be very, very aware of. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you a little bit of St. Maria Gretti's story? Um, sure. So 14-year-old brutally murdered by Alessandro, takes her about a day to die. She prays for him and forgives him uh, for um, stabbing her. Uh, and, and she succumbs to those uh, uh, wounds. Uh, but then at her canonization, Pope Pius Twelfth, with her mom in the crowd and Alessandra there says, parents can learn from her story how to raise their God-given children in virtue, courage, and holiness, that they can learn to train them in the Catholic faith so that when put to the test, God's grace will support them and they will come through undefeated unscathed and untarnished. Mm. How broken mom could have felt that she let her little girl be killed. And the Pope said to her, she came through unscathed. Mm. Good job, mom, because you taught her Christian virtue. And that just blows my mind. It's so counterintuitive. Uh, But yeah, when we have that strong foundation of scripture, when we're trained in Christian virtue, yeah, we can go through the the sufferings and the difficulties unscathed. Yeah, amen. Um. Well, yeah, I think that there's obviously so much more that we could unpack there, but I also um, need to get to Vespers. Uh, do you either of you have any last burning thoughts that you're not going to be able to sleep tonight if you don't say them on the episode? Just thank you, Mother Natalia, for your honest prayer that that you share with us, because as you do so, so clearly, then it allows us to be more honest with Jesus whenever we talk to him about the stuff going on in our lives. Mm -hmm. So you model that for us very well. Thanks, Father Steve. 
and I may actually need to listen one this one over again, um, or just talk to you about it personally, mother. But I, I, I want to I want to delve deeper into the whole protection aspect of what you mm. talked about. Um, another spiritual daughter of mine, who you know really well, mother, um, also sees our Lord as very much a protector and a provider. And those mm. are just like roles of His, especially in the lives of women, that I think are very important. And I think in my my priesthood that would be helpful to dive a little bit deeper into but so i'll look forward to that yeah yeah because i think i just i mean i don't know why i just kind of ignored this in scripture or something for a long time but it's like even in so many of the epistles it's like um god's got your back and you're gonna be fine and everything's good and so on and so forth and in like the same breath they're like you're going to be persecuted. You're going to like go through all these trials. Life's going to be really hard. And it's just like, oh, well, clearly being safe and being protected means something different to Jesus than it often means to me. So, yeah. I may have told you this, Mother, but um, I have a friend, Sarah Jane, who whose dad, when she was young, never told her to be safe. He actually really did not want. He wanted her to be adventurous and mm. risky and, and you know, kind of reckless in all the best ways. And so, she was a, a ballet dancer, professional ballet dancer in New York City when she was ten years old. And her parents lived in San Francisco. And she would take the subway in from Brooklyn to Manhattan every single day as a ten-year-old, <laughs> um, and then back to Brooklyn where her dorm was. Um, and that was that was how her dad trained her to be. Thank God she's okay. And um, but she moved to Chicago, then here to LA. That's where I met her. And yeah, so th- there's a certain a certain thing that's par- for parents hard to understand, but a certain recklessness when it comes to the the riskiness of depending upon God for everything that that bears beautiful beautiful fruit when it when we are able to have that much faith and trust in our Lord. All right. Well, I'll give the spiel and then we can give some prayer intentions if you want to be thinking of those, Father Stephen, Father Michael, and hopefully one comes to my mind. Uh, The first thing I want to say is, you know, we talk about, you know, please do rate and review on Apple Podcasts if that's how you listen to us. That helps the the algorithm so more people can be touched by the podcast. Um, But also... If there's like a particular episode that really moves you, please share it with someone. And I think that's a really great way for you to participate in our evangelization and to spread the word about the podcast. It's like if you hear an episode that you're like, wow, this could really be helpful to so-and-so, then then please do share it with them. And we're on all the social media things, uh, Buzzsprout is not social media. I don't know why I just said that. Buzzsprout is one of the platforms that our podcast comes out on, but we're on the other ones too, like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and whatever. Uh, Instagram, Father Michael's on Twitter at Padre Michael O. And Facebook, Goodreads, lots of great discussion on there. And we have a nonprofit called Fotina, that's P-H-O-T-I-N-A dot org. And we, for that money, um, some of it goes to just run the podcast. And then there's some for that we tithe and some that goes to uh, support other Christian ministries that do things similar to our own. And then some of that money goes towards what we call our Matthew 25 fund. So feeding the hungry, the thirsty, um, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, so on and so forth. And one of my recent uses of that money has been, um, this is just a really cool story, but a friend of mine, her parents sent her an icon as a gift. 
and they accidentally put in the wrong address and it showed up to someone else's house. The person who it showed up to their house is like not seemingly a Christian. And, but the name on the package was like the same as their niece's name. And so they opened it thinking it was for her and it was an icon. And they were like, what is this thing? And so anyways, they returned it to my friend because she reached out and said, Hey, I think you got a package of mine. And then like a day later, they texted her and they'd never met before this whole package mishap. And they texted her and they were like, Hey, that like picture of Jesus, um, what was that about? And it was the crucifixion. So they were like, why was he like so skinny? Why was he so on and so forth? And like, why wasn't he like wearing clothes and what's going on there? And um, so I used some Fotina money to to buy an icon for this person. And um, I'll be nice. sending that to them this week uh, because <laughs> I know their address. And uh, so anyways, it's just like a really fun, um, fun use of the money. And I appreciate uh, being able to do that. So thank you for your support. And you can send us an email, whatgodisnotpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I think that's pretty much it for the spiel. Do you think I missed anything? YouTube audio only. Oh, yes. Yeah. YouTube audio YouTube. only because Jesus loves me and <laughs> protects me from people seeing my face. Uh, great. So prayer intentions. I will ask you to pray for the woman who's receiving that icon. And um, let's call her Tanya, because that's her name. And I stole that, <laughs> I stole that from Father Steve. <laughs> um, but uh, that's safe enough. You don't know where she is. You don't know her last name. So pray for Tanya, please, and her receptivity, and that Jesus can speak to her through this icon. Father Michael? Um. I will ask you to pray for um, the neighbors immediately around our church. Um, we, we, we're going to do some evangelization for them specifically, um, just those whose windows overlook our property, those who live close. Um, somebody recently has been kind of talking about um, how the grace of, of presence and just the grace of the, the, the blessed property here and those who are closest to it that grace in a sense emanates to those places. And so if our Lord's work in their heart, we need to, we just want to make sure that they know um, where that's coming from. It's coming from our Lord um, through a, through a parish and what that means. So anyway, so just pray for all the, those whose, especially those whose windows overlook our property. Um, God knows who they are and he will grace them with his grace. Thank you. Father Steve. Prayer intention for um, just generally those who are especially feeling the weight of the cross right now. And um, quick story in particular for Lucille, because that's her name. <laughs> a person I went to anoint last night, uh, 95 <laughs> years old, and uh, her son calls, took a turn, you know, go visit her in the hospital. Uh, walk in the room and she's just like bright eyed and such a joy to be around. And she said, Father Steve, it's so good to see you. I'm not going to die today. I thought I was going to this morning. And then we just had a chance to pray together. And like let's, I said, let's pray. And she just like reached out to grab my hands. And we just had this, I was uplifted by spending time with Lucille last night, who, yep, in the midst of being 95 and in the hospital and thought she was going to die that day is, was just a joy. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Father Steve and Father Michael. It was great to be with you guys, two priests that I love very, very much. So, you too, Father. All right, Father Steve, uh, Father Michael. Well, I don't know, Father Steve. Do you want it? 
Do it, okay. Father Steve. Father, Father Steve is pointing at you, Father Michael. All right, Father Michael, can okay. you give us a blessing, please? He wins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May our Lord give you an assurance of his protection. May our Lord allow you to see his cross and his resurrection and his life and his teachings and his joy and his struggles in your own struggles. May you be patient and persevering in your desire and receptivity to hope. May you also be an instrument of comfort and joy, but also conviction to those around you who our Lord has given you for your community. Uh, may you be a comfort to those who are mourning and may you be comforted when you are mourning. May you see Christ's actions in every aspect, especially his trampling of death and sin. May you go into this upcoming Lenten season, the present Lenten season this comes out, um, with an understanding of the good mothering of the church and a trust in her guidance in the way to better receive and to participate in our Lord's resurrection. May our Lord give you everything you need, even the salvation of your soul. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you too, Father Michael. Thank you. You guys too. Love y'all.